Matthew 10. A couple of announcements today from 2 to 4 at Trayton Homes. Uh, that's at the corner of Kennesaw and Tower Road, Charles Sineth. Uh, many of you know him. He was a longtime pastor at First Methodist and was the founding pastor at Riverstone, the church that we were planted from. He's doing a book signing. Uh, if you know him, then you'll know the title of his book, Good News, Good News, Good News. That was his, uh, that was his slogan. So he'll be there, Trayton Homes from 2 to 4 today. Um, we're, we're trying something, we're starting something the end of February. We're calling it FIT, but it's confusing because we had something else called FIT, but I can't come up with a new name. So this is what we're doing. It used to be three weeks, and many of you have done that but we're expanding it to six, and it's, a, it's an immersion into the values of Stonebridge. We did something last summer called Led, which was about being led by the Spirit, and so we're smashing together the content from both of those things, and we're creating this six-week, um, I don't know, program that we'll be doing in here. I'll be sharing some from the front. Everyone who comes will be around tables. You'll have a table leader. We'll have kind of a big group, small group element. And so here's the thing, if you haven't done both of those things, if you haven't done fit and led together, then I need you to come through and take this again, particularly if you ever have a desire to be a leader in the church. We don't have a lot of requirements, but that is one for us, is that you go through this six-week deal before you move into leadership. It just helps make sure we're all on the same page and we're all speaking the same language. We're going to offer it every year, so you don't need to break your neck to try to get on the schedule for this semester particularly. I don't want you to give up if you're in a small group. I don't want you to give up your small group to come. But if you're not in a small group on Tuesday nights, I'd encourage you to uh, sign up for that. It looks like it's $10 for a person and $10 for child care if you need that. That's for the whole time. So that's cheap. Um, you can see Kim. If you have any questions, you can sign up out front. Uh, Wednesday, as Brandon said, is Ash Wednesday. We're going to have Intersect here. We're actually going to do an Ashless Wednesday. There won't be any, we're not doing any ashes. You're supposed to burn your palm branches, and that's where you get the ashes from. The palm branches that we use are plastic, and so we figure that's not good. So there's no, no ashes, uh, but we will have prayer and worship. It's the first day of Lent. Lent is, it's about six weeks leading up to Easter, and we uh, traditionally have done a corporate fast during Lent, and we're going to do that again this time. If you're unfamiliar with fasting, it's voluntarily giving up food for a defined period of time for a particular reason. Uh, you can give up anything. You can give up, people give up coffee, you can give up sweets, some people give up a particular meal. I'm not going to eat breakfast on Wednesdays for the next six weeks, or whatever you want to do. A um, couple of things, you need to give up something you like. It doesn't do any good to fast something that you don't enjoy Anyway, that kind of defeats the purpose. There is an element of self-denial, which is countercultural for us. Most of the time, we don't do that. We don't deny ourselves. And so there's definitely kind of a discipline element um, to fasting. For us, we're also going to focus on this idea of hunger, since you'll be fasting, it fits. And we want you to pray for someone in your life who you would say is far from the Lord. And the prayer is really that God would stir hunger in their heart. Uh, we've said before, you don't have to convince a hungry man to eat. And so uh, if, if there are people in your life who are distant from God, and however you want to define that, uh, pick one, ask the Lord, who's somebody you want me to pray for, and just pray for God to make them hungry between Ash Wednesday and Easter. It's about six weeks. I'd encourage you to pray for them. Just pray for them a minute or so, um, a few days a week, and just and see what God does in their life over the course of Lent. So again, we've got kind of two things going on. You personally 
our fasting, I hope, uh, particularly if you've never done that, I encourage you to get on board. I know some of you may have some dietary restrictions or health limitations that make that difficult, but do what you can. You don't have to try to be a hero, you know, uh, in terms of what you're giving up, just pick something. One, the dumbest one I ever did one time I said I was going to fast. I was only going to eat things that grow, which I don't like vegetables. So I, I, by the end, I was like, well, cows grow. They get bigger. <laughs> Chips are from corn, and corn grows. I, it's not, it wasn't productive for me at all. So you don't have to be a hero, but pick something that, you know, if you feel like you can do this, take a, take a step beyond what you feel like you can do. It's just an opportunity for the Lord to work in your heart during that time. Um, and we'd, I'd encourage you to do that. And again, and, and ask, seriously pray for somebody. Pick a person and pray for God to uh, increase their hunger for Him over the course of Lent. If you do happen to give up, if you give up coffee or Starbucks or a Coke or that type of thing, we're going to do something in conjunction with Lent. Uh, so it's a, it's a um, living waters deal. We have a group going to Guatemala um, later on this year to, to dig a well. We did this last year, and we actually raised the money to, um, to, to put a well in, and I think it was in Nicaragua, and so we want to do that again in Guatemala. So if there are drinks that you give up, I'd encourage you, whatever that money is that you would have paid for those drinks, if you'll just give it here and just write well or water or something like that on the memo line of your check, we'll get all that money to Living Waters. It's $5,000 to dig a well, but for some of you, that's like three weeks of Coke and Starbucks. So just whatever you're doing with that, put the money in the buckets when it comes by. Write on the memo line what it's for, and we'll make sure that, um, see if we can get that well paid for uh, before those guys get ready to go. As Brandon mentioned, I have this list. He did not know I was doing this. I have this list of um, butchered cliches, and the main contributor is actually in this room. I won't point out uh, who he is. He's over in this general area, and he's the main contributor, and the other main contributor is someone who's working in the nursery, and I'll try not to say who she is, but y'all can probably figure that out. So these are cliches that people have, I'm fit to climb the walls, that's, okay, next, I don't want to have to change my mind, that was actually in an email somebody was sending to their employer about a decision they had to make, he wanted me to proofread the email, and I told him that he actually has more time on his hands, he can actually go to the 11th hour if needed. This guy, yeah, a la mode, not a la carte. Tacos and ice cream are definitely, it's, it's, they're coming. That's no skin off my teeth. Next. I called him one time. He was taking a long drive. He said he was on the home leg. We're watching a football game and he doesn't have a dog in that hunt. Next. My, this was, Misty actually told me one time, she said she can't change her mind on a dime, which is good. Some decisions are open and dry. They're very clear what you should do. Let's see this next one. Somebody told me they had two left thumbs. What's next? Somebody asked me if they could pick my ear about something. And I said, no. They have Vaseline for those types of issues if you're chafing at the bit to get started. All seriousness aside, what's next? A guy, he was emailing an employer, he said he left him a message, but the guy dropped off, not the face of the earth, but he dropped off the picture. Misty one time put her foot in the sand, which was good for me. That struck a bone, 
We've got Brandon's, I think, is next. Flush it out. And then my favorite, don't kick a dead horse in the mouth. That's illegal in some states. So if you've got more, send them to me. Matthew 10. It begins with what could be called a, a bit of a cliche. Last week we looked at the first half of Matthew 10. Jesus is sending out the 12 disciples. And uh, they go. If you read Mark and Luke, they go out. They come back. They actually have a great report. They seem to have a good missionary journey. They come back and have this fruitful report. Starting in verse 16 of our passage, there's a shift in tone. It gets, more, it gets darker. It gets more somber. And the setting gets pushed out. Verses 1 through 15 really have to do with the immediate context of the 12 disciples. You're about to go, and here's what you're going to experience. Beginning in verse 16, everything gets pushed out to after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. This, so uh, what, you, what we're going to read from verse 16 on, you could say it's where we live. It's just not where we live because we live in the United States. But it's where we live in terms of the timing of things. And it begins with this kind of classic statement, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. What I'm going to do, I'm going to intersperse my thoughts on this just as we read, so you can kind of keep that in mind. The idea of being shrewd, that's a difficult word for some of us as Christians. It doesn't seem very nice, honestly. Oftentimes that word is translated wise, if that helps you. Uh, you can think about being wise as a serpent, in term, that in terms of your tactics. So uh, wisdom is knowing what to do in a particular situation. So there's the idea of saying, well, I want to be, I want to do that. You know, serpents are kind of proverbial for being clever. And so I, I want to do that. And whatever the situation is, I want to know what the right thing to do is. My heart, I want it to be pure. I want to maintain integrity in terms of my motives. So that's kind of shrewd as a serpent, innocent as a dove. Um, I was reading somewhere and the guy said, you know, we don't want to be dumb as doves. That's not, that's the opposite of being wise as a serpent. So that's kind of what's going on there. Maintaining integrity in terms of motivation, um, purity in terms of heart, uh, but being wise and, and asking, well, what's the best way forward? And many of you have probably been in situations, you may be in one now, where you can't, it's thorny to try to figure out how do I maneuver through this relationship? How do I move this, how do I move ahead in this decision? This is what, how Jesus tells you to do so. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So if you read through the book of Acts, this is what the 12 disciples experienced in the book of Acts. And uh, throughout the world, there are actually people who currently experience this as well. There's 200 to 250 million Christians who are made up of what, what, what's called the persecuted church. We'll look at a picture in a minute and you can kind of see where they are. But this was reality for the disciples in the book of Acts and it's reality for many believers today. Not so much for us. We live in the Bible Belt. But there are places where this is present day experience. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's a, a phrase for us this morning. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. There's that idea of kind of shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. You don't, he's saying you, you don't have to just sit there and take it. 
If there's an opportunity, then go. You can be a better witness with your mouth than um, if you're dying. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. There he's referring to his second coming and he's saying that there's going to be an ongoing uh, mission or ministry to the Jews. A student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, that's, just, that's another name for the devil, how much more the members of the household. So Jesus is saying the way they treat me is the way they're going to treat you. They're hostile towards my message and me. They're going to be hostile towards this message I'm giving you and to you as well. So because of that, don't be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. But I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roof. So what he's really speaking to there is, is the, the judgment at the end of time. Everything's going to be laid. saying you don't need to be afraid of what's going to happen to you because everything is going to be made clear. So you don't need to hide anything. You go ahead and you share the things I'm putting in your heart. Share the things I'm telling you. I'm going to expose everything in due time. Don't be afraid of them. Why not? Who can only kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. So another reason we're not afraid is because nothing happens outside of the awareness of God. He's going to take care of us these difficult circumstances. This is a pivot point. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. We've heard that same type of thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Our faithfulness to him in some ways is um, it's indicative of our heart, and he responds to that in us. This is a, a tough passage for some. Don't suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and anyone who does not, who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So what you have there is a statement of priority. Jesus is not saying that you should hate your family because we know from through the rest of the New Testament that's not the truth he's just saying you got to love me more in comparison to your love for me your love for them is less than and a semitic way of saying that is hate so that's what's going on there is he's elevating our relationship with him as primary above every other relationship including even preserving our own life verse 39 is the most uh, frequently recorded statement of Jesus whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it then in verse 40, there's a shift back to the immediate context for the 12. He's, remember, he sent them out. He said, I want you to look for homes where you can be welcomed. And this is how, what he says will happen to the people who welcome the disciples in. Those who receive you receive me. And uh, he who receives me receives the one who sent me. That's God. Anyone who receives a prophet, because he's a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who sees, receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone receives even a cup, gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. So what Jesus is saying is these people who are inviting you into their home, they're get, they're, they will be blessed for that. In receiving you, they're receiving this message. They're also receiving me as well. The assumption being if, if 
the disciples are invited into someone's home, it's because they're accepting the truth of the gospel as well as accepting the disciples themselves. So that's kind of what's going on there. Again, for most of, we, we don't live there, to be honest. Um, this is a map of the persecuted church. If you live in one of these areas, then this is present day reality for you. Those countries in gold are places where the government is hostile to Christianity. The places in red are places where there's some, at least on the books, there's some level of protection for Christians, but there are large areas where the, either the government can't or won't uh, protect Christians. And when I say persecuted, that's everything from churches aren't allowed to get building permits, to you can't buy a Bible, to you can't share your faith, to kidnapping, to um, your property gets destroyed, to there's probably somewhere between, it's hard to know the number, between 150 and 180,000 Christians every year who martyred, killed, solely because they are believers. So it's, it's the full gamut. It's, it's the real deal. And again, that's 200, 250 million Christians today are experiencing what we just read. Like that is, that is their reality. When they say yes to Jesus, they're cut off from their family. When they say yes to Jesus, there's every chance that they could be arrested and tortured and forced to recant or be kept in, be kept in jail, be, be killed even if they won't uh, recant their faith. We don't live there. Uh, there may be two or three of you at some point in your life who are called long-term into one of those countries, and that will be reality for you. We sent a couple to Turkey. Uh, they're, they're on the plane now um, going to do ministry there, and that, that's a place that could at some point become more hostile. Some of you are old enough to remember 25, 30 years ago in our country, and you probably say, well, things have gotten more hostile towards Jesus here, and who knows, maybe in 30 or 40 years, if we continue on that track, there will be some level of persecution, but that's... It's just not where we live now. So then the question becomes, well, does this have anything for us? Is there anything here for us, or is this more for people who live in other parts of the world? And I think there's, as I was thinking about that, actually a, a, a line in that last song that we sung stuck out at me. It says, um, my whole life is yours. I give it all, surrendered to your name. And I was thinking about the idea of what does it look like to have a faith that we treasure so much that we are willing to surrender everything? What does it look like to have a faith that to, it, he is the pearl of great price. But for us, I think oftentimes it's because it's relatively easy to come into a relationship with Jesus. It can lessen his value in our life. And most of us are never going to have a gun put to our head that says either you, re, you recant, you say you're not a Christian, you say Jesus is not the son of God or I'm going to pull the trigger. That's not reality for us. But all of us have and will continue to have um, decision points in our life where we have to choose, am I going to prioritize my relationship with him over everything else? Is my relationship with him more important than my marriage? Is my relationship with him more important than my relationship with my parents or my children? Is my relationship with him more important than my career, my reputation, my financial stability? Is it even more important than my freedom? We do have those types of decision points. I don't think every day, I think that there's a handful of those over the course of our life where we have to say, you know what, he's, he's worth whatever I've got to give up. Whatever it looks like for me to be, in order for me to be faithful to him, I'm willing to give up whatever else I've got because he's worth it to me. And I'm not, I'm going to stand firm to the end. He is worth more to me than all of my other human relationships. He is worth more to me than everything I have or have accumulated. Even my life, he's more important than that if it gets down to it. Again, most of us are not going to have to make that choice, but there's this, uh, there's a quality of faith that I think there, that we can maybe uh, aspire to. 
there's a quality of faith that we can aspire to that uh, in those decision points, we actually have something worth sacrificing for. We actually have something worth suffering for. And there's two things, I think, that we can do to begin to cultivate um, that quality of faith. And it's discipline and devotion are the two things I want to talk about just briefly. I don't want to give you techniques because I don't feel like it's helpful, but I do want to give you some practical things that you can grab onto. Uh, A fire needs fuel and it needs a flame. Discipline is the fuel. It's the wood. And devotion is the flame. It's the spark. And we need both of those things. We don't have a fire. You've just got a pile of sticks or you've got a match that blows out really quickly. And we need both of those things if we're going to have a fire, if we're going to have this faith that's vibrant enough to say, you know, that's worth suffering for for me. That's worth prioritizing in my own life. If you like the idea maybe of likening your relationship with the Lord to, the, to a marriage, if you only have discipline, that's a loveless marriage. Maybe you know people. They've been married for a long time. They live in the same house, but they just live parallel lives. They're in a routine, but there's no heart connection. Maybe they go to the same restaurant every day and, or every week, and he's reading a paper, and she's reading a magazine. There's no, there's no connection between them. They're still married, for sure, which is good, but there's no life there. There's no spark. That's discipline without devotion. I think of devotion without discipline, it's the Hollywood you know, we're in and we're, we're flame on and then six months or 12 months or 18 months later, it's, we're, we're done. Flame on, I'm on to the next after that. There's no staying commitment. There's a lot of passion. There's a lot of heat, but there's no staying power. There's no long-term commitment to the other. That's devotion without discipline. And we need both of those things. And we, most of us tend to fall one way or the other. Like I fall more towards the discipline side. That's easy for me. The devotion side is more difficult. Some of you are more naturally passionate people. So the devotion piece, that's easier for you to grab onto. But the discipline thing is a little more difficult. And we need both of the, all of us need to cultivate both aspects of our relationship with God. So discipline, what does that look like? Multiple things, a few that I would encourage you to grab onto. You want to be, um, you want to be regular without being rigid. So I think that's one thing that some of you hear discipline, you're thinking very regimented. I don't think that's the case. There's just an intentionality of saying, I'm going to meet God. I'm going to set up some places where I meet God. Me and Misty, we go to lunch on Fridays. Now, that doesn't mean anything. Like we can not talk or we can yell at each other. There's all kinds of things that we can do when we're sitting in the booth. But But we sit in the booth. Like there's a place there. So on Fridays, we, we have that, and it's important for us. I have a wa- weird schedule, and we have a lot of children, and so it can be difficult for us if we say, I'll catch you when I catch you, it's going to be 2030 when our last kid graduates. That's when we're going to wind up running into each other. Before that, it's not going to happen. So there's got to be places where we set aside and say, this is, this is where we, this is our opportunity to connect. And the same thing is true in your relationship with the Lord. There have got to be regular places where you say, I, I meet him. And I think the two primary ones are prayer and worship. Prayer, that's, that's, that's the primary way we communicate with God. At a minimum, it's inviting him to get involved in our lives. Honestly, if you're not praying, I don't get it. Because your father is the smartest, the strongest, the most loving, the wisest, the richest, the most powerful, like that's who your father is. Why in the world would you not ask him to get involved in your life? He's on, please do. At a minimum, 
do that. Prayer, we've said before, it's not informing God, it's inviting God. Ask Him to get involved. There's more to it than that, but that's at least a starting place. I'm not a a seven-day-a-week guy. The only thing I do seven days a week is get up. But beyond that, think about, like, you don't, don't set yourself up to fail. I'm going to pray for an hour. No, you're probably not going to pray for an hour a day, seven days a week. It's probably not going to happen. Start with a couple of minutes, five days a week, or three days a week, and then grow from there. And that one part that will be a stretch for some of you that I would encourage you to do, however much time you spend praying, then take 50% of that and spend listening. So if you pray for three minutes, take a minute and a half to be quiet and listen. God's more succinct than us. Give him a chance to speak back to you. And you may feel like that's a wasted minute and a half because you're sitting there in silence. But over time, you'll learn how to hear his voice in those moments. Prayer, ideally, prayer is a conversation between you and the Lord. It can take some time to grow into that, but you want to begin to go ahead and put that rhythm into your life. And so my question is, where do you meet him in prayer? And if you, again, if you're like, I just catch him when I can, then most likely you're not, there's not going to be the depth there. The, reading the Bible, that's is basic. That's Christianity 101. If prayer is the main way we communicate with God, the Bible is the main way God reveals himself to us. It's not a history book. It's not a science book. It's really not even a biography. It's, it's revelation. Here's who I am. You can't figure me out on your own. So I've said, this is who I am. And so as you read the Bible, that's what you're looking for. God, show me who you are. Show me something about that you care about. Show me the things you don't like. Show me some things about me or how you want to relate to me or what you're doing in the world. Those are the types of questions you're asking, and that's what you're reading the Bible for. You're not reading it just to gain information. That's, not, that's great, but that doesn't form you. That doesn't, that doesn't, um, it's not going to help your faith grow. It's going to make you smarter, which is fine, but it's not going to deepen the roots in your heart in terms of your relationship with the Lord. And so you want to be asking God when you read, God, what does this say to me about you? So if, you read, if, you read, if you're reading Matthew along with us, we're about to get to the parables. And what you're saying is, God, what is this parable? What does that tell me about the way you work? Show me something about yourself through this. You hear, that's what you're reading. You're not just, again, checking, checkmarking anything. Those of you with smartphones or tablets, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N.com, uversion.com, use it. You get, it's, a, it's a free app, download it. It's got a billion, doesn't have a billion. It has lots of plans, translations. Some of you are more, you'd rather hear than read. I'm, I've got to read, but so the, the auditory things, they don't work for me. But for some of you, that's it. You would much rather listen than read. They're, they're um, apps for that on this U version where you can download the Bible and it'll read the chapter to you if that's how you learn better. I don't care if you read a verse or a story or a chapter or a book, you just have to begin to regularly say, I'm going to meet God in the Word. I'm going to meet Him in prayer and I'm going to meet Him in the Word. And again, don't set yourself up for failure. Don't, you know, some of you when we're fasting, you're going, I'm going 40 days with no food. You're not. I'll call you in three days when you're done. Don't. You want to, stretching is fine, but God's not looking for heroes. And so think about what's something given where you are. Can you do five days a week? Can you do 10 minutes? Can you pray for five and read for five? You can do that. Can read while you're eating your bowl of cereal, whatever. Just 
Find these places where you meet God. And the last one, I think it really has to do with the way you process information. Some of you are thinkers. Everything goes on in here. Journaling will be wonderful for you. Some of you are verbal processors, and you need a couple of friends, and you need to meet with them regularly to share, hey, this is, what's, this is what God is saying to me. God doesn't just give, he doesn't just share with us just for the sake of. There's usually a, there's a component where he's either trying to change something in our life or he's trying to move us forward in some way, and we've got to wrestle and chew on those things. So whether that's through journaling or through conversation, you've got to have a place where you're saying, God, I get it. This is what I feel like you're saying to me, and this is what I'm going to do about it. Small groups are a wonderful place for that if you're a verbal processor. Again, some of you are much more kind of pull off by yourself, and you need to chew on things, and you need to buy a little notebook, and you need to start writing it down. It's not a diary. unless Well, you can make it a diary, but what it is, it's, just this, it's where you're recording, this is what I feel like God is saying to me, and this is what I'm going to do. If you don't have that component, you're, to me, it's very difficult to grow. You can be going through the motions with prayer and going through the motions with the Bible, but unless you've got an incredible ability to, to grasp what God, and hold on to those things, you wind up losing it over the course of a day or a week, and you, it, it doesn't really take root in your heart and produce any change. So that's discipline. If you kind of lean towards the devotion side, or you just don't have that in your life. You don't have these regular places where you're meeting God. I would say grab onto these two. And then the next one is devotion. Cultivate devotion. This is, for some of us, this is hard. We don't think about God in this way, but he's a person. And you can have an emotional connection to him, and it's okay. Jesus does not have to be your boyfriend. I'm not talking about falling in love with God or any of that. But he is a person. And just like you have a, an emotional connection to the to your parents or to your spouse or to your kids or to your friends, you can have an emotional connection to God. And I think it's important that we cultivate that. It's what moves our relationship with him out of our, strictly from our heads, into our heart. It engages all of us, not just um, our mind or even not just our will. It engages our emotions. It engages our heart. It's a place where we need to grow. Real quick, you can ask, Romans 5, 3, the love of God is communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And you just need to ask. In the Bible, the Holy Spirit oftentimes is pictured as wind. If you have a little flame and you blow on it, what happens? It becomes a bigger flame. So you can ask the Holy Spirit to communicate love. If there's a place where you, if you feel, you know, we're in worship, and you're like, I don't know why we keep singing these songs. You just feel there's nothing happening for you. You don't have any sense of God's presence. You can just ask. You can say, God, I don't. I'm not feeling it, like literally, God, I'm not feeling it. I, need, I want to experience you, and I'm not, so help me. And he will. He'll, do, he'll begin to stir your heart. That's what we're praying for for the, our friends and family during Lent, is that God would do that. He would begin to stir in them a hunger for him. Adore, Valentine's Day is coming up Thursday. Men, lock it down. You're going to be writing a card to your wife on Valentine's Day, telling her how wonderful she is. And as you do that, it will do something in your heart. As you tell somebody, these are the things I think are great about you, even if you don't feel them while you're writing them, there's, it does something to us internally, emotionally, when we're actively communicating. Like the, the act of choosing to love somebody, even if I don't feel like it, does, it, it engages my heart on a deeper level. And the same thing is true with the Lord. 
if you would take time to say, God, these are, these are some of the things I think are great about you. This is, I love that you are this. I love that you're always consistent. And that, that in spite of everything that changes in my life, you're a rock, and I love that about you. If you begin to say those types of things, it will stir your heart. It will help you connect with him emotionally. It makes him more than just an abstract concept. And the last thing I just wrote was music. I don't get music, but for some reason, it does something in us. It gets in us, in a way. Most of you can still sing a song you hadn't heard in 20 years comes on the radio, and you can sing it. You can't remember anything you learned in school 20 years ago, but you can sing the song. There's just something about it. And this, and, and worship music's the same way. It gets into us. And I would encourage you to regular every week or a couple of times a week, take a few minutes and listen to some worship music. It's easy. You can find it on iTunes. If you don't know what to listen to, ask Bo. He can give you a list of songs that we sing. Or if you don't like the songs we sing, he'll give you a list of ones we don't. But find music and he can, and just listen and just let that kind of, kind of rest in that music. It's one of the ways I think that it can stir your heart. So we want to cultivate discipline. We want to cultivate devotion. As we're doing that over time, what you're going to wind up with is a faith that for you is worth sacrificing for. It's a faith worth suffering for. You may never have to do that, but if you do, you'll be willing to because there's something there. It's not just a pile of wood or it's not just a flame that blows out. You saw that picture, not just the the discipline is the riverbed and we want to dig the riverbed so there's a place for the water to flow. And the water, that's the devotion. That's the spirit in our life. And we want both of those things coming hand in hand. So let's pray. We'll wrap up. God, I do, we do want to pray for those around the world who are suffering today. Those who can't, they can't meet in a church because they don't have one. Or if they did, it'd make them sit in ducks. And so God, we pray for those guys who are having to meet in in caves and who have to meet at night and keep the lights off because they're, if, if the authorities found out that a group of Christians were gathering, it would be bad. And Lord, we pray for strengthening for those Christians. We do pray that they would stand firm to the end. We pray for their faith and that it would be, um, it would be alive and real in them, that uh, you would protect them. And God, I pray that the persecution that is... Um, inflicted upon them, God. We pray that it would lessen. God, we pray for the day when they can worship freely. And God, we pray as the, we're not the persecuted church, we're kind of the prosperous church. And God, I pray that we would not be flabby in our commitment to you, that we would not be uh, lukewarm in terms of connecting with you, that, that your, we would recognize you as the pearl of great price. God, that we would recognize that our relationship with you is worth whatever we have to give up in order to maintain. God, that our relationship with you, Jesus, I pray would truly be the most important thing in our life. Not that we would want to have to give up these, these good things, these other relationships, but if it ever came down to it, God, I pray that we would know that you're worth it and that we could trust you in the midst of those times. And so, God, I pray for those of us who are big on discipline and not big on devotion, that you would stir our hearts towards you, that we would begin to feel God, that we would sense your presence, that we would hear your voice, that, God, we would, our hearts would be stirred by you. Lord, I pray for those of us who are big on passion, but are a bit scattered in terms of connecting with you, that you would 
bring some discipline to our life, that we would cooperate with what you want to do, create opportunities where we can meet with you on a regular basis. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do this. We're pushing um, the end of time. Uh, We're going to have ministry and uh, three people, three sets. If you're big, if you want us to pray for you about the devotion piece, we want to pray for you about that, just that God would stir your heart if that's an area where you're struggling. The discipline thing, if that's something where you're just all over the map, you can't connect with the Lord on a regular basis, we'll pray for you about that. But I did think there were probably three or four people in here who you need this shrewd as a serpent, innocent as a dove thing. It's a relationship, maybe a business relationship, but you're not really sure how to navigate. And we just want to pray for revelation for you in the midst of that, that God would help you maintain a pure heart and tell you exactly what you need to do. So we're going to have ministry teams up front. Bo's going to sing, uh, and he'll dismiss us after we're done. If you need to slip out, you can do so for sure. Just please uh, do that quietly. Um, Otherwise, please stay with us for this last song and come forward as you will. Y'all can stand.